Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we're going to see why Jesus endured the cross. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you ever looked at someone else's life and wondered, why do they put up with certain things? How can they put up with certain things? We've all seen people who have had certain disabilities, and, and we see them deal with the difficulties of mobility or communication. Some struggle to breathe. Some are totally incapacitated. How do they put up with that, we might ask? There are times when someone's job is such a challenge that we wonder how they put up with that as a profession. How in the world can they stay in that particular job? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about why Jesus put up with the pain, the suffering, and the humiliation of the cross? Why did he put up with that? We sing and rejoice about the birth of Jesus, and we should, but the birth of Jesus is all about the sacrifice of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our text says that he endured the cross. Why did he endure it? Why would anyone endure such an impossible matter? Well, this morning I want to encourage you by showing you why Jesus endured the cross. He did so for a basic reason, but there was more than, or there is more than one aspect to this reason. The scene of the cross is filled with so much more than the brutality of the cross. If you just looked at the brutality of the cross, that's plenty and and more than enough. But the scene of the cross is more than the brutality of the cross. There's the mockery of the cross. There are the, the insults of the cross. There is the shame of the cross. In addition to the pain of the cross, Jesus endured the shame of the cross. Look at these verses selected from Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 19. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Now verse 27. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would have destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Verse 32, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Moving now to verse 36, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come down and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
at the cross of Calvary, there was a feeding frenzy, like those shark attacks you've seen that as they go for something helpless in the water. There was a feeding frenzy. It was a frenzy of cruelty to the very Son of God who was there on the cross paying for the very sins that they were committing. The purple robe, the crown of thorns, the declaration of being king of the Jews, none of that was serious. They were all insults. They were all intended to be humiliation. They were all in some way to deride Jesus, bowing to him, placing Jesus between two thieves, using his own words against him were all part of the shame of the cross that Jesus would endure. Yet, you might recall from Luke's gospel that in the middle of all of this, here's something that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the middle of all of that, not only was he enduring the cross, but he seemed to flourish in the cross of Calvary. Why would he put up with all of this? Why would he endure the cross? Then in Mark 15, 31, the religious leaders mocked him openly. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. You're not all that much, big guy. If you're really who you say you are and you really came to save others, let's see what you can do for yourself. If the humanity of Christ was ever tempted, surely a remark like this would make it so. If the humanity of Christ ever wanted to say, I'm I'm out of here, there's enough of that, surely it would be at this moment. They were insults from the, the very one that he was had given a position in the community of faith. He had put them in that, their, those places that they had in leadership among the Jews. Yet now they turn and they mock him. He could have called the whole host of heaven to come down and rescue him. He could have given a nod and a wink. He could have just simply thought it. And then all of a sudden, thousands upon multiplied thousands of angels could have come down and said, Not this time, folks. But he didn't do that. He endured the cross. Would any of us put up with those insults? Could any of us deal with such things? What would your thoughts have been? We can be glad that our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways because I'll tell you, I would have defended myself. I would have found a way to get back at them I wouldn't have turned the other cheek. I'd have fought for my life had it been me. You're so glad it wasn't me. You're so glad it wasn't you. You're so glad it wasn't anyone that you know other than the one who you know is Jesus. Jesus endured the cross. When the chief priest said he saved others, he cannot save himself. Here's what the chief priest did told the greatest truth ever spoken and the biggest lie ever spoken. The greatest truth, he saved others, plenty of others. Jesus saves after all, amen? The biggest lie, he cannot save himself. Oh, what a lie that was. He could save himself. He chose not to save himself. 
It's amazing that he didn't save himself. If you knew that you could tap out at any moment, would you have stayed on the cross? If all of the resources of all of the universe were at your disposal, would you not have used them to save yourself? Well, let me answer that for you. Yes, you would. People go through all kinds of things just to hold on to a little bit more life. You would have done whatever it took to tap out if you could have done so, but not Jesus, because Jesus is God. And the God, Christ Jesus, endured the cross. Why did he do so? Well, he did so first in consideration of the Father. The most abhorrent thing to a holy God is the presence of sin. God cannot allow sin in heaven. God cannot allow sin to occupy his same space. In him, there is no shadow of turning. There is no variableness. There is no sin whatsoever. Jesus was on the cross as the innocent lamb of God to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He was becoming sin for you and me. He was paying the price for sin. When the sun turned black and the day turned to night on Calvary's hill, it was because the Father had turned His face from looking on the Son, who was about to become the one thing that was the most repugnant to a holy God. His Son was about to become sin for us, and He turned His head not wanting to see it because it would be true, and He had sent His own Son on that mission, and Jesus died on the cross in consideration of the Father's will. It was the will of God that he bear this shame. It was the will of the Father that he bear this reproach. Something so opposed to the nature of God, yet Jesus was actually pleasing the Father when he did these things. Can you think of that? Let me show you this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians 1 and verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It was the will of the Father that he bear the shame, because this sacrifice was the only way for God to allow sinners into heaven was to have their sin completely covered by the righteousness that could only come from God. And so the righteousness of Christ was imposed upon the sinners who would receive that righteousness. Jesus was on the cross in consideration of the Father, His will and the Father's love. It's the will of the Father that He bear the shame. It was the will of the Father Only one thing would have been worse than this, and that is if Jesus had come down from the cross of Calvary. Seeing this awful scene and enduring it as we do, and we rejoice in the birth of Jesus, but in just a few short weeks we'll begin to We'll begin to agonize over the cross of Calvary, and we'll see it depicted in the Passion Play right here in this auditorium uh, on the weekend of Easter, and all of that will take place. But I want you to know something. All the horror of all of these things was the will of the Father and Jesus pleasing the Father.
In Matthew 26, 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Why did the Father do this? Well, because as much as the Father loves the Son, so he loves us. It has to be. It has to be that God's love for the Son is only matched by his love for the sinner. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation. That word means the satisfaction for our sins, 1 John 4.10. Jesus endured the cross in consideration of the Father. Not only that, Jesus endured the cross because he decided to do so. It was the conclusion of the Son that I must endure the cross. John 10 and verse 37, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He said, I did it. I did it in consideration of the Father, but I did it at my own conclusion. I made this decision. Why did the Father make you do this? Oh, he didn't. He wanted me to do it, but so did I. I wanted to do this. On a parental level, don't we love it when our children obey? The only thing that's better than children obeying is when the children begin to live the lessons of life that they've learned from us. That's just wonderful. We love to see them act on their own. If children lived as they were raised to live, even after the daily guidance of parents has ended, it's a greater joy to parents. It's a joy for parents to see them obey when they are under their control, but even more so when they see the imprint of their lives in the the lives of the children. In that light, the father must have been so pleased with his son because the the son was pleased with the same areas that pleased the father. That which pleased the father pleased the son. That which pleased the son pleased the father. Why were they so much alike? Because they were the same. They were one. How is that? Oh, I wish I knew that. I wish I knew how the three could be one, but I'll tell you that they are. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one God. Not three gods, not daddy God, little God, and spirit God. They're one God. We worship one God. When we say that Jesus was on earth, when we say that Jesus on this earth was God incarnate, we mean that he was the embodiment of God. Jesus was, it is, the physical manifestation of God. Jesus endured the cross in consideration of the Father and at his own conclusion. I want to give you something else that you may not have thought about. 
Why did Jesus endure the cross? Consideration of the Father, of his own conclusion, and in conservation of heaven. Well, now that's an interesting idea. Jesus endured the cross in conservation of heaven. We know that the saints of God had lived and died before Jesus' time. We know that there were Old Testament saints who had lived and they had died before the time of Jesus ever came along. And the Bible teaches that they had gone to a place called paradise in waiting for the completion of the plan of salvation. You may recall that Jesus said to one of the the thieves on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. There was a place called paradise. It's also referred to as Abraham's bosom. They went to paradise in waiting for the completion of the plan of salvation. This is where we found a man named Lazarus. You recall Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham? And the rich man looked across the great gulf and and begged that Lazarus could just take the tip of his finger and dip in water and put it on his tongue. Had Jesus decided to do as the high priest suggested and save himself, it would have placed heaven itself in jeopardy. Think about that with me. Here's a verse most of you know, but you may not think of the impact of it. First Peter chapter, First uh, John chapter one and verse seven. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with the, another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let me let me stop here, and this was not a part of the message, but something that's worth saying at this point. There are times when we think that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from the sin that we have committed, and it does. Here is the beauty about the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin. It cleanses us from the sin we have done, the sin we are in, and the sin that will come. Were it not so, you'd be getting saved every hour on the hour. If the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to cleanse us from sin past, it is powerful enough to cleanse us from sin present and sin future. You say, well, great, then I can sin and get by with it. Oh, no. I will tell you that as my children were growing up, my, my three sons, that they could obey me or disobey me, and they would still be my sons. There was never a time that they wouldn't be my sons. They were always my sons. They still are my sons. I absolutely adore my sons, topped only by my grandchildren. Could I tell you that if they did something wrong, they suffered for that wrong that they did, but they never stopped being my son. They never stopped being loved or cared for by their father. They never stopped being adored by their dad and their mom. The reality of the sacrifice for our sins is that the sacrifice for sins cleanses us from sin past, sin present, sin future. We live to please God because He has forgiven us, and He is our Father, and He can still straighten us out when He needs to. Amen? Now beyond that. 
Everyone who's ever made it to heaven has done so on the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the power of His shed blood. Old Testament saints made sacrifices of blood, not to cleanse them of sin, but symbolic of the sin that, of the blood that would cleanse them from sin. Symbolic in looking forward to the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ to be shed on the cross of Calvary. Their sacrifice was done again and again and again and again, pointing to that sacrifice that would come once and for all, for all who believed. Hebrews 9 and 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 10 and verse 9, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ offered for all a uh, all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's the fullness of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. Today, we look back on that blood that was shed. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary, don't you? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that He was born of a virgin. I believe that he was buried and on the third day rose. I believe that he ascended and has gone to prepare a place for me. I believe that I was not there to see it with my eyes, but I believe it based on the authority of God and the promise of his word. And so the Old Testament saints believed that God would send a sacrifice once and for all for their sins, and it's the same sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God. It's the same blood that cleanses all who come. Adam and Eve did not run from God's provision, but embraced it by faith and accepted coats of skin and the sacrifice connected with it in view of a day when God's promise would be fulfilled and redemption would be fulfilled. So it was with Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Jacob and Sarah and Ruth and Naomi and on and on it goes. The Old Testament continued to offer sacrifices of blood and the work of the Lamb And the work of the Lamb of God was to shed His own blood. Had Jesus stepped down from the cross, there would have been no basis for the faith of all of those who had already gone to paradise. No basis at all. All of that blood sacrifice that they had done would have had no effect because that was all looking to the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Had Jesus stepped down from the cross and said, I'm done with this, sorry, can't do it, not going to do it, not going to put up with you, scorched the earth and walked away. Had he done that, then my friends, I want you to understand that those people who were in paradise based on the promise of the son's sacrifice for their sin, they quite frankly would have been there 
under false pretenses and heaven would have been cleaned out and transferred to hell because there would have been no sacrifice for sin. Immediately there would have been no recovering from sin, no basis for redemption. And all of a sudden those who had died in anticipation of the Son of God coming and shedding His blood in sacrifice would have to leave the paradise that they were in and go to hell. Why? Because Jesus didn't endure the cross. By the way, that's all conjecture. You say, would that have really happened? Oh, I believe that would really have happened, but it didn't. You know why? Because he died alone for you and me. Jesus endured the cross. He did so in consideration of his Father and of his own consideration. He did so in conservation of the population of heaven. And there's one more thing. Jesus endured the cross because of the condemnation of sinners. That's why. Had he saved himself, then all of us would be without hope and doomed to an eternity in hell. I don't like hell. I don't like to preach about it. I don't like to think about it. Most people don't preach about it or think about it anymore. Most people think that there's no such thing as hell. And I will tell you, that doesn't make it cooler. Hell is real, friends. And were it not for the sacrifice of Jesus, I would go there. There'd be no hope for people like me and people like you. The chief priest was wrong. Jesus could have saved himself. But he made a sacrifice, a sacrificial choice of a proportion that it was Incom- it's incomprehensible to most people today. He could have won over the jeering crowd, including the chief priest. He could have supernaturally imposed a different decision on Pontius Pilate or anyone else, but that was not his will. Jesus concluded to endure the cross in consideration of the Father, in conservation of heaven, and in, because of the condemnation of sinners like you and me. By enduring the cross, Jesus made salvation available for all to receive it. That's why you can be saved, is because Jesus endured the cross. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, there are no crown winners in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. Vance Havner said, we need men of the cross with the message of the cross bearing the marks of the cross. Jesus endured the cross He did so in consideration of the Father. He did so at his own conclusion. He did so at the conservation of heaven. He did so because of the condemnation of people like you and and me. If you were to look at Rembrandt's painting of the three crosses, your attention would be drawn first to the center cross on which Jesus died. Then you would look at the other crosses and then eventually to the crowd gathered around the foot of the cross. And you'd be impressed by the various facial expressions and the actions of the people involved in the awful, awful crime of crucifying the Son of God. Finally, your eyes, if you studied it, would go to the edge of the painting and catch a glimpse of another figure almost hidden in the shadows at the bottom left of the painting, I believe. Art critics say this represented Rembrandt himself. He knew that it was his sins 
that nailed and kept Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Where is the cross in your life? Where is it? Jesus stayed on the cross. Have you stayed by the cross? Do you run to the cross or have you been running from the cross? From the age of six weeks. A woman named Fanny Crosby, a very famous woman, a woman named Fanny Crosby lived her life without sight. She became one of the greatest hymn writers of all times. Fanny Crosby, Steve, she wrote 8,000 hymns. Fanny Crosby wrote 8,000 hymns. We still sing many of her hymns. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody once saw her near the end of her life, and he asked her, if you could have just one wish granted, what would it be? Well, you know what Moody expected. He expected her to say, well, I would like to see. And she said, if I could have but one wish, I would wish to remain blind for the rest of my days on this earth. Confused by that, Moody asked her, how could you say that? And she said, because after being blind for all these years, the first face I want to see now is the face of Jesus. It was Fanny Crosby who wrote these powerful words. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream. Flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross a trembling soul. Love and mercy found me. Near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. And the chorus goes like this. In the cross, in the cross, Be my glory ever Till my raptured soul shall find Rest beyond the river Have you found yourself in the cross Jesus endured the cross. Will we live the cross? Will we stand with the cross? Will we receive the salvation that's in the cross?